Hello, everyone. I'm Emily Lavender, and this is the Forever Marriage Podcast. Forever Marriage at Lakewood exists to strengthen families by helping couples discover God's design for marriage. We are on episode six of our Finish Well series, and we are currently talking about nurturing the habits of grace or spiritual disciplines in our personal life. So in the last few episodes, we talked about um, habits of abstinence. So that would be in episodes four and five. And so now we're going to move on to talk about habits of engagement in this episode. Yeah. And so in what we're going to talk about in this episode and most likely in episode seven is how those who finish well practice what we call these habits of engagement. Now, you may ask, what what are habits? These are, as Emily alluded to, habits of grace are, are in essence, what church fathers through the centuries have called spiritual disciplines. They're disciplines that we, we root in our everyday walking around lives to help us walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And we believe that if you want to finish well in life in any aspect, maritally, vocationally, in any aspect of life, you're going to have these habits rooted and grounded in your life. Not because you're such an overwhelming disciplined person. That may be helpful, but we're talking about them being a grace gift of God. So just receiving God's grace as you walk in these habits. And in this episode, we're talking about specifically habits of engagement. What we're going to look at today is the habits of prayer, fellowship, worship, study, service, confession, and submission. We'll cover as many as we can in this episode. What we don't finish in this episode, we'll pick up in episode seven later. Yeah, so as we have looked at the things that we're going to push away, the habits of abstinence, and you're wondering, okay, what do I do? Now that I've pushed some of those things away, this is meant to couple with some of the things that we're about to teach you to pull in. So as whatever you've decided to push away, then, you know, and you can actually put together several of these things that you pull in. So it's not necessarily one thing, but we're going to start very simply with prayer, which is really just an opening up a conversation with God. It's just another way of saying I'm talking to God right now and God is talking to me. This is a conversation. It's a two-way conversation. So as you and I talk with God, just as the same as when you're talking with a friend or with someone else, there's this give and take of listening uh, and sharing. And so when we're engaging in prayer with God, we also need to be careful that we're listening to what he has to say to us, that we that we pause in in our conversations, in our time of prayer with him. A lot of times I think when we come to him with prayer, we're doing all the talking. We're doing all the asking. We're doing all the confessing. We're just, you know, we're just going, which I think is the gift of grace that we have, that we can enter the throne room that way and, and boldly ask for whatever we, for what we want and need. But the relational side of our, of, of it with God means that we pause, that we listen. Um, the scripture often will repeat today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart or 
he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So as we talk with God, we're also to listen to him. And then from our prayer time, our conversation with him, we take, we have the choice to take these steps of obedience to, but we also receive encouragement during those times of, of, of conversing with him. We hear answers or direction or wisdom, the things that we need to, um, that Hearing his voice is important to us because it rem- it helps us to know we belong to him. Um, that it's a comfort to be able to engage in prayer and conversation with God. This is important as we enter into these habits of abstinence that we begin from a place of prayer so that we can hear from him. How does this season of abstinence need to go? What am I searching for here? What else do I need to either push out or pull in? It begins with a conversation and opening up our ears, our spiritual ears, to hear the voice of God. Now, I know, honey, for you, you've had a habit for years of journaling and writing out your prayers. Why Why do you do that? Well, for me, one, it helps me to remain focused in, in my time with him. If I'm, if I use my journal to write, write some things down and it gives me an opportunity to pause and to listen. I usually will use the scripture as I'm doing that because I, and we're going to talk about, you know, opening the scriptures because I, my, the primary way, not that God doesn't speak to us in all kinds of ways, but his divine revelation of his word is the primary way which we're going to hear the voice of God. And so as I engage in God's word and I journal, it just helps me to be able to, it helps my brain to function in such a way that I'm also able to hear and process what the Lord is saying to me. I would also add to that, like it's a lot slower to write than it is to talk. So I've found that it helps me to be more intentional That's with good. what I'm saying, more thoughtful and mm-hmm. not just you know, word That's vomiting. Good. That's exactly right. Well, and I find too, for me, I don't write them as frequently probably as the two of you do, but I do find for me, Em, when I write them down and I'll date them, it often is a benchmark for me of what I was thinking, what I was processing with the Father, where I was at that point in time. And it helps me see where he's answered, what what has changed in my life since that moment of prayer. So we're talking in this episode, guys, of habits of engagement, of the spiritual disciplines, these habits of grace, and we're talking about engagement. These are things, as Dawn said, that we now do since we have pushed away and we're pulling into things of God. The second one, after prayer is really fellowship. Since the founding of the New Testament church, fellowship has been a central part of both the corporate and the private gatherings of the church. You could see this emphasized in Acts chapter 2, and we'll put this in our show notes, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. But verse 42 was foundational for me two decades ago as, as I came here to Lakewood and we were looking at how we do life with one another in the body of Christ beyond the the corporate worship experience. And verse 42 says it this way. This is talking of the the New Testament church that was being freshly formed after Jesus had risen 
from the grave, had ascended to heaven, had now, in Acts chapter 2, he had sent his Holy Spirit, and it had fallen upon all the various believers there in Jerusalem. And this picks up, Luke is recording what happened beyond that. And he says this in verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so you can see where both the Word, the Apostles' teachings, what for us today are the Apostles' teachings, their writings inspired by the Holy Spirit, the words that we we read, as Dawn alluded to, that's what we're devoting ourselves to. But you can also see that word fellowship. It's the Greek word that we get koinonia, which literally means community, this communion, this association with one another. It's this devotion to one another. It's not like we're just haphazardly doing life together, but we're actually going to live in communion with one another. We're going to be devoted to one another. It's what we flesh out here at Lakewood in in what we call the one another's of Scripture. We're going to accept one another. We're going to bear one another's burdens. We're going to care for one another. We're going to be comforting of one another. We're going to be devoted to one another, encourage one another. We're going to forgive one another. That's what the early church was doing as they fellowshiped with one another. And this is what the writer of Hebrews tells us with regard to fellowship. He says, do not neglect doing good and sharing. Sharing with one another that which you have, that which you have been given. It might be monetary. It might be material. It may be even mental. The things that Benji and Emily are hearing from the Lord, what he is teaching them, they share with me and Dawn or others. And that is what is pleasing to God. He says it this way. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews thirteen sixteen says, do not neglect doing good and sharing. Why? For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. God is pleased when we are devoted to one another in fellowship. Yeah, and I, I love the, you know, the, the principle of the early church where they were gathering together and they were doing all of these things. And then the Bible says that their numbers were being added to daily is that, you know, there's an increase. There's an increase that comes as a result of these habits of engagement. And I want you to, as we're talking about them, I want you to kind of think about, um, all of, think about how this uh, applies to each one of these, that there is so much life giving that comes as a part of these practices of engagement for us, um, as we do that. And so this idea of prayer, um, of hearing the voice of God, of, of, of communing with Him, expanding out to communicating, communing with the body of Christ in fellowship, and then coming together, but also in our own personal life, worshiping God. Can I say one thing before you get there? Because I just, what guys, let me ask you this question. Um, And those who are listening is who I'm asking. Why you may be asking Scott, Dawn, Emily, why is fellowship so important? This is why (laughs) fellowshipping with others is so important. Because you in your marriage and in your life are in a battle and you have an enemy who wants, who is seeking to kill, steal and destroy your, your joy, your marital fidelity, your, your 
walk with the Lord. And on a daily basis, you're tempted, you may struggle. And when we gather together and we pray for one another, we confess sin to one another, as James talks about in James 5.16, when we do that, it lessens the power of the enemy on our lives. Dawn and I gather with a, a group of young couples every Sunday night at 6. And what I see when we gather, there's six couples that gather. And when we gather and we're sharing what we call the stuff of life with one another, you can almost see it kind of release some of the pressure and the tension on each of us as we realize, hey, these couples are in the same struggles that we're in. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation. You can almost insert the word, no struggle, no temptation, no struggle has overtaken you, but what? Such as is common to man. In other words, you're not the only one dealing with these parental struggles, financial struggles, vocational struggles, sexual struggles. Other people are dealing with the same thing. And that is why those who finish well connect in community with fellowship with one another. That's it. Okay. Thank you for that. Good addition. Good addition. The third um, practice of engagement is worship. Let's talk about worship. How about that? Worship, If it, um, interestingly, the English word worship was originally spelled worth-ship. So when we are engaging in worship, we are ascribing to God his worth. We're saying to him who he is. We are um, lifting him above all else, all desire, all need, all obligations, all responsibility, um, all aspirations. We're lifting him above all of that, of saying and declaring him sovereign, um, of glorifying him in all of the aspects of our life. So as First Corinthians says, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we're to do it all to God's glory. So we walk around basically with an attitude of worship, of glorifying God in all that we do, of lifting him up. Maybe if you're spending some time in solitude or and you are wanting to bring into that time of alone time, a time of worship, looking into the scriptures to find passages that just lift up and describe who God is, is a great way to begin your work, to begin in worship, finding worship songs that really speak to who God is and glorifying him. There's a lot of worship music that make declarations of truth about who we are. And I don't discount those. Those are great. But I feel like in this area, Choosing worship songs that really ascribe to God who he is, the glory of who he is, of lifting him up. This idea and practice of worship is an important discipline for us. And as we worship God in spirit and truth, in essence, we're acknowledging that he alone is worthy of our worship. So this time and this idea of worship is a, is an important aspect of engagement. Yeah, when you think about it, worship 
I, mean, I like what the psalmist says in Psalm 115, verse 1. He says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. And this is Scott's opinion. Take it for what it's worth. I believe worship, especially corporate worship, really the object of our worship is to be God and not us. A lot of what's written for the church today in especially American Christian worship is really about us in terms of his love for us. And that's that's true. That's good. That's right. It is good for us to remind ourselves that God loves us, those things. But worship is not about us. Worship is about God and ascribing to him the worth that is worth him the worship that is worth do him. I want you to talk about though, hun, um, cause you talk about, we, we use the language that all of life is worship. So all day long, we're worshiping someone or something, right? So flesh that out. Yeah. Well, this really comes to, I mean, if you come to, um, Romans 12, one and two, therefore, Brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, for this is your spiritual act of worship. When, when in that language, I mean, when we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord, um, that we're offering really our, our whole selves as living sacrifices that this is our spiritual act of worship. So Paul kind of draws together this whole body piece, the whole person of who I am, that the things that I say and the things that I do, I offer up as a spiritual act of worship before the Lord. So just as what we talked about before in first Corinthians, when that word says, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we are to do it to God's glory. So all the things that we think about and all the, I mean, the words that we say, the things that we do, um, is an, is an act of worship of some kind. So when we think about if it's not an act of worship for the Lord, what, what is it? What are we exalting in the moment? It's going to be a worship of ourselves. It's going to be a worship of our own desires, the things that we want. It's going to be a worship of another person. Uh, is exalting that other person above what is right in the eyes of the Lord and what is good and what he's, what he desires for us or desiring for you to be a savior in my life for something that's wrongful. You know, that's, that's not, I can't expect you to be a savior for me for what's broken in my life. And so this bears some consideration of how do I worship giving some thought to, uh, what what my worship life really kind of looks like and how do I navigate that as a Christ follower? Yeah, so we're talking about worship and, you know, really worship of God. Anything that bestows on him the worth that is due his name is worship. And if, if we're worshiping someone or something else, that is worship, but it's known scripturally as idolatry. And so we want to make sure that which we're worshiping is worthy of our worship. And the only 
object or person that is worthy of our worship is God himself. Now, how do we do that? One of the next practices that we do is through study. I love how uh, Luke records this about the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. He said, now these, he's speaking of the Bereans. He said, these, these folks were noble-minded, more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. For the Bereans received the word with great eagerness, eagerness, and check out what they did. They examined the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. One of the habits of grace that we encourage you to, to do to finish well is to study the scriptures for yourself. A habit that we're seeing or a practice that we often see in today's culture is we're listening to the latest hot podcast or the latest hot worship leader or the latest hot, uh, teacher or whatever. And those things are good. I'm not knocking that. But what we are challenging you is what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 2.15, to be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, that you yourself can handle accurately the word of truth. It's not me referencing what someone else said, but I've actually done the hard work myself to study it for my st- myself to present myself approved. Uh, this is what John says, the, John the Beloved, uh, one of the apostles in First John, he says it this way in chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Beloved. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is what I believe to be true, guys. I do believe it's it's been true. Paul thought it thousands of years ago. It's even more true now. Every day we live, we're closer to the second coming of the Lord than we were the previous day. So we're closer now to the coming of Jesus Christ, his second return than we've ever been before. And as we get closer to that, there are going to be more and more people espousing what is called truth. And the discerning follower of Jesus, the one who's going to finish well the race of life, is going to know the difference between truth and error. Because in the last days, the enemy is going to teach stuff through false prophets that has enough truth in it that it's going to be both palatable and plausible. But we're going to have to have discerning eyes, discerning ears, discerning hearts to know, is that biblically accurate? And the only way that I have learned personally to do that is by studying God's Word for myself. Do you remember, and I, we should have talked about this beforehand, but <clears throat> I might be putting you on the Let's spot. Let's talk about it now. Let me put you on the spot. Because put you, me don't, on the, you don't ever put I, me and Emily on the spot, no, ever. I never, never. I never asked But do you remember um, like the five the five things that we have taught to approach God's Word, to get a good grip on God's get Word? Get a good grip. Read God's Word. Mm-hmm. Memorize God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. Know and know. <laughs> Those were the other two that I, I we'll mean, the put other them two. In, we'll put them in the show Speak notes. Speak it? So. 
Is speaking it one? Like to someone else? Maybe not. I can't remember. But I see listen, the hand. I'm sorry, y'all. We should have this we should have done a little homework on it. But I was just thinking about this in terms of ways to engage bit. with God's word and we will put it in the a link to that yeah, sheet on that's the right. notes. How about yeah, that? We've got that in the teacher. Okay. Yeah. See, y'all get to hear all these things that we're just going off the cuff from. So here's three keys, and we'll finish out this episode with this. Um, three keys that we believe are effective in studying God's Word. The first one, as you see with the Bereans in Acts 17.11, is to have eager receptivity. What does that mean? It means to receive the Word with great eagerness. Gene Powell, that you've heard us talk about at the very beginning of this series, who was a mentor for me and his wife for Dawn, Linda Joe, lifelong uh, navigators. They worked for the parachurch ministry called the Navigators. And Gene taught me years ago as I approached God's Word each day, to pray Psalm 119, verse 18, and it simply says this. This is David saying to the Lord, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. And so that's when you're, when you're studying God's Word, just simply pray that simple prayer from Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Receive it with eager receptivity. The second is this, is to have an examining response. Now, what does that mean? This is what Luke said about the Bereans. They examine the scriptures daily. Now, let me just kind of meddle a little bit. This is to be a daily habit, guys. If the last place your Bible is, is where you placed it after you left church on Sunday and you found it as you got ready for church the next Sunday, I'm telling you, that's an insufficient diet of God's Word. That would be like you eating one meal a week and hoping and praying that that's going to sustain you. It's just not. And so I do want to encourage you. I don't say this to guilt or shame you. I just want to encourage you to build a daily habit of examining God's Word. Then the third effective study method beyond eager receptivity, examining response, is an exacting reflection. Now, what does that mean? This is where Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 2.15, handling accurately the word of truth. You're landing as you've studied, you've presented yourself approved. You're now learning how to handle what we call precept upon precept, line upon line. You're knowing that this teaching, this verse links to that verse. This is how it plays out. And as you do that, you will find yourself that God begins maturing you. It it opens your heart and minds to things of Him. It will affect how you interact with one another, specifically in the context of marriage. And we tend to find the couples that are finishing well have many of these habits of engagement rooted and grounded in their life. Now, When we come back in the next episode, we're going to continue looking at the habits of engagement of service, confession, submission. 
And that will close out this teaching on nurturing the habits of grace in our personal lives. We hope to see you next time.